Hello friends and welcome. I hope you all woke up this morning with medicine on your mind. I know I sure did. My name is Sonia Surya and I am so excited that you're here with me on this unique journey in exploring various medical fields and how to navigate the educational and professional pathways within them. If you're like me and are thinking of a career in healthcare or are even just interested in hearing about different careers in general, keep listening to hear from a real professional about their personal experiences and advice. There is no better way to explore the field of medicine. And of course, if you enjoy this episode and others, feel free to share this podcast with friends and family. My main goal here is to bring as much knowledge as I can to as many different people as possible. So with that, let's get right into our interview for the day. I'm super excited for you to join us today. So Dr. Braz is here to give us some great insight into her career and the life that she lives now. So Dr. Braz, would you just really quick introduce yourself to our listeners? So um, your name, your career that you're in, and even some activities and hobbies you like to do outside of work. Oh, sure. Braz, I'm a pediatric hospital medicine physician. Uh, I enjoy outside of work. My goodness, so many things. I am also a musician. I'm a musical theater performer in town and perform with different groups around town as well. Amazing. (laughs) And all kinds of other things, travel and activism. Thank you. I think that is so cool. Um, I just wanted to start out with something that I think is really important with COVID-19 happening right now. I think a lot of young, curious people are lacking shadowing opportunities, including myself, of course. And so could you just try and describe to me what a day in your life looks like? Well, sure. And actually, I don't have a normal day in my life, interestingly, because I'm a hospital medicine physician and I don't have a clinic. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a Monday through Friday, nine to five job, which actually I love for me, it's part of the perk. So every day is different. Every week is different. Um, if I'm on days, which means on service, running the team in the hospital. So taking care of all the hospitalized patients and supervising the medical students and residents on that team, I get up and go straight out the door to work, which I, I have to be to work at 730 in the morning to take sign out from the overnight physician who admitted patients and saw sick patients. And I meet with the resident team to talk about our approach for the day, and uh, we start rounding. We go around together as a team and see all the patients, and usually do have medical students. They've been out because of COVID, unfortunately, and doing virtual care and teaching and learning. But they're coming back on the 29th, and so we go around the rooms and include the nurses and other multidisciplinary team members like nutrition and physical therapy and the pharmacist and the nurse whenever she or he is free. Uh, We see the patients and discuss their plans with their families. Typically, we present in the room, which is called family-centered round, so that the parents can participate in decision-making. And, uh, of course, the child, too, if they're old enough. And then after that, we we see patients who need admitted, do consults. Um, I'm getting called throughout this with questions from regional physicians and nurses on my pager now on my phone. And... Uh, we continue the rest of the day with taking care of our to-do list, which can be extensive. Thanks. I like how you said that you don't really have a normal day in your life. And I think that's really cool, like you said. Um, So why have you chosen to pursue pediatrics out of all the other lines of medicine? You know, it's an interesting question. When I went to medical school, I came out of music school and was in graduate 
school for uh, singing and thought I would be an ENT, which is an ear, nose, and throat physician, a type of surgeon. But as I went through all the different rotations throughout school, which I loved, I uh, thought I would do surgery, but um, walked onto the pediatric ward because, you know, in third year, you rotate through all the different specialties or many of them. Mm-hmm. And I just felt at home in the pediatric hospital. It's one of those feelings that you have, a gut feeling. And I felt, oh, my goodness, this is so bright and happy and yeah. <laughs> cheerful. And the patients are so wonderful. And the staff, the nurses, the colleagues, the people that I work with, people in pediatrics tend to be nice, you would hope, <laughs> and fun people to be around. Yeah. I found the medicine super interesting because in pediatric patients, you're dealing with often congenital problems, in other words, problems that people are born with or susceptibilities that they're born with that make them more susceptible to either illnesses or other problems they encounter in their environment, not so much lifestyle problems they've accumulated over time. So I especially like the pediatric hospital medicine and teaching and just realized that's what I was going to do. So that's what I decided on. What do you think is different about pediatrics than if you were to work with adult patients? Well, again, that's a great question. And you allude to it in another one of the things you were interested in hearing about. For one thing, we do deal with and see kids who have just been born all the way up to 18-year-olds, but sometimes older, like patients with cystic Mm -hmm. fibrosis, certain patients with certain kinds of pediatric cancers or pediatric congenital heart diseases still come into the pediatric hospital because adult medicine isn't as familiar with those pediatric problems. Um, So part of what's unique about pediatric medicine is that in one room, I see a newborn baby who is having a sepsis rollout, which means we're making sure the baby isn't infected anywhere with a serious bacterial illness and they're on antibiotics. In the next room, we're dealing with a, um, we're helping a teenager who has been so depressed they've overdosed on something and we're helping that person figure out how to be safe and what is the best psychiatric care. And in the next room might be a bone infection in a nine-year-old and just on and on and on. There's always variety and interesting cases and challenges and approaches yeah. and involving the parents too. The parents are the decision makers 99% of the time and involving the child in the decision-making depends on their developmental level and what's appropriate. And we try to speak to, for instance, um, 12 and up, like more like tweens and teenagers, we really try to speak to them first and really involve them in that care but being family-centered is a unique thing about pediatric medicine as well. So you said that you have to work a lot with patients and parents together. Um, And something else that I always wonder is, what kinds of situations have you ever dealt with where you have to work with like an obstetrician or another doctor when dealing with um, like a mother and child or something like that? When I did neonatal hospital medicine, where I was the pediatrician responding to high-risk cases um, where they were expecting a birth, and I was the pediatrician who was asked to be present to assess the baby. Um, often the obstetrician or um, certified nurse midwife and I and the rest of the resuscitation team had to come up with a plan with the family. And if the family, especially if we were expecting a high-risk birth where we might have to resuscitate the baby, if the family didn't want us to do standard medical care, that was extremely stressful and worrisome mm-hmm. um, for us as a medical team wanting to provide the best care for the baby. But uh, most often in conjunction with the obstetrician and whomever else I was working with, we could come to share decision-making with the family on what uh, they would allow us to do that was life-saving and what uh, we felt like we could um, decide together a little bit down the road. And so those decisions, especially in the moment that are super stressful, really require a lot of calm and quick rapport building. And that can go for kids in the hospital too, when parents don't want certain care or 
when we're the consultant or we have another consultant where teams don't agree with each other, generally what works best is to come together calmly and discuss what everyone's goals are. And usually people can see a little more eye to eye in that respect, but you'll find that in any discipline really um, in, in medicine and outside of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I do have some more questions about pediatrics specifically, but first I just wanted to step back and talk to you about yourself and how you first decided you wanted to pursue medicine. And so I know you said that you went to school for music, which is really, really cool. And so what other careers did you originally maybe have on your mind and how did you end up here? Yeah, that's a great question. I graduated from music school with a vocal performance, like opera emphasis degree, and what everyone does if they want to make a living, which is not reliable in gig, uh, in life, especially now, right, uh, is go to graduate school and either become a professor or teach in some regard. And so I applied to graduate school and had a scholarship to study abroad. And I just felt like it wasn't the right path for me. I wanted to perform. I didn't, I mean, I like teaching, but it just hadn't quite been what I had pictured and I was feeling Mm -hmm. pretty burned out and wanted to do something that I felt like was really fulfilling and go back to enjoying music again. So while I was in Germany on that scholarship I had gotten for graduate school, I um, was able to study in, uh, in certain medical classes at the undergraduate level because in Germany and in much of Europe, the way they approach studying medicine is very different than they approach it here. Uh, undergraduates start medical classes and science classes that are pre-med based and have to pass a test at a certain point to get to go on in medical school. Mm -hmm. But undergrads can participate in those classes. So I got to do that in German at the same time that I was talking to people back here, physicians doing what you're doing, gathering information, like how do you get into medical? Yeah. And going down that checklist. So when I came back, I, I went down that checklist of volunteering in the medical field and getting my certified nurse assistant license to show that I could handle working with patients and blood and guts and all yeah. that organic material that comes out of people and enjoy doing that and uh, and doing research and getting a second degree in molecular, molecular biology and organic chemistry and all of the things that you need to do working shadowing like you were talking about uh, yeah. working with physicians working in medical offices in intake and charts and uh, basically building my application process uh, so I went through that process and applied and got in and, uh, certainly it may have helped that I had a more well-rounded background than some and had done a different path beforehand. I was 26 when I started medical school. Maybe that helps a bit, certainly, and that I had lived abroad and done some other challenging things, but, uh, it was a process of going through to answer your question, I guess, in short, what else would I want to do with my life that would be fulfilling and challenging and really a tangible skill where I knew that job would always be needed and that, Mm -hmm. and I had influences in my life, people I really looked up to that were musicians and doctors and that was an influence too. Yeah. So speaking about that application process for you, what was the complete education pathway like for you to get to where you are now? Yeah. So a little bit different for me again, of course, um, than Mm -hmm. for most people. Uh, So I had the bachelor of music, which included a lot of the, language and other humanities stuff that people have to get for any bachelor's degree. So that counted for me. But to get into medical school, I had to go on and do all the pre-med stuff that I hadn't done before. So that was uh, math through calculus. And um, oh, goodness, now it's getting it's getting fuzzy, but a year of physics and labs and a year, at least a year of biology and labs. And there was another year that was more specialized molecular biology level stuff that I pursued um, a year 
chemistry with labs and then a year of organic chemistry with labs. And doing that much organic chemistry got me my minor. So it was a little bit extra at the University of Oregon, which is where I went. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am, oh, I, I took anatomy and physiology, uh, several other more specialized uh, level classes that were fulfilling my um, degree. And I was invited to join the evolution and ecology lab doing research in circadian rhythms. And that involved doing gel electrophoresis, which is oh, a yeah. wonderful opportunity as well. So I ended up doing a second four-year degree with all of the, those extra classes and the research year and the application process and took the MCAT during that. So that was four years. And that's kind of the minimum for anyone to get a degree anyway um, yeah. and apply to medical school. And then uh, I did four years of medical school. But in that, I did a year of a student pathology fellowship, which is this amazing, basically, job position where you take a year in between your medical and serve as essentially an intern in pathology where you help do autopsies, you do the frozen sections, which is selecting tissue for processing to go into the microscope to to review histology, the microscopic analysis of tissue and diagnosis. And of course, with a physician, like an actual pathologist overseeing everything you're doing because you don't know what you're doing at first. You work together on that in all the different specialties in pathology, going through a heme path rotation, going through a forensic pathology rotation. There were some electives there running to the OR and doing interoperative consults, which is bringing back tissue kind of urgently or emergently to make sure the surgeon, the cancer surgeon has gotten all the cancer out. Um, So I did an extra year there and that was amazing training and then did my clinical years, uh, which was another two years and doing the clinics I just described where you go through rotations in the hospital and and learn all the different kinds of medicine and decide decide what you want to do. And then graduated and went to three years of residency training, which is you're a doctor, graduated from medical school, you have MD after your name, but you're learning to do your specialty. Uh, so that was my pediatric residency training at Stanford. And uh, it was wonderful and challenging. And then I came back here to start working. And that was 12 years ago, almost. That's amazing. Um, I just love the pathway that you took because like you said, it's probably really different from other people, but I think it really shows how well-rounded you are and how you've gotten to this career, which I think is super unique. So thank you for explaining that to me. Um, I guess my next question is, I know you've been involved in public health and medical work abroad before, so I wanted to know how you got involved with doing that work at first and how do you think it's helped you in your career? That's a great question. I became interested, my goodness, I've been interested in causes and activism for many years. Took off during pre-med doing some of my volunteering with the Red Cross and White Bird local chapters that helped uh, people who didn't have access to medical care get medical care. And that's when I first became aware of that problem. And when I was a CNA, a certified nursing assistant in emergency medicine, and at the University Health Center, like between, you know, classes and everything else I was doing, um, Mm -hmm. I came across people who didn't have access to medical care, and many um, types of underserved in that population. And then in med school, I started working or volunteering for Wallace Medical Concern, which is uh, a nonprofit providing free medical care to uh, the underserved of all types, again, here in the Portland area, people who don't have homes, and also people who wouldn't typically, like um, undocumented people, wouldn't typically have access to medical care. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I went in my fourth year of med school, I went to Guatemala for a month and was in an intensive language school in the morning and saw patients in clinic in the afternoon. And that really solidified my love of 
working with the Latinx population and with the immigrant and migrant population here in the United States too, and really helped my Spanish take off into fluency, which was great. And ever since then, I've been going back to Guatemala or Mexico, or I went to Brazil once. Um, I've been to the border now. Um, I've been to Puerto Rico a couple times, as you know, which is a different population, mm -hmm. of course, part of our country, but um, again, more underserved um, that mm -hmm. in that region than, of course, it should, given that it's part of the U.S., that it's a U.S. territory. Uh, and my love for helping take care of people who don't have access to medical care and advocating for them and speaking their language and teaching at the same time, because that's how we pass on that love and that dedication to you all and your generation has just grown each experience. It's been very, very rewarding. Absolutely. I just think like you said, the teaching and education and the work that you do for young people like me is super great. But, you know, your passion for activism and helping people is something I think is so innate in doctors. Like you have this care for others and that is so evident in everything that you're doing. So now I want to talk about pediatrics again. So within pediatrics, there are multiple specialties and you said that you're in hospital medicine. Um, could you elaborate on different lines people can go into and how they're similar or different and what you've had personal experience with? Oh, sure. So different medical specialties within pediatrics. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So generally in a pediatric general, the residency for being a pediatrician is a general residency or to do general pediatrics. And that's three years. And then after that, if you're going to subspecialize, you apply for fellowship. And typically that's another three years. And that can be in cardiology, genetics, which is kidney specialists, um, mm -hmm. uh, gastroenterology, uh, neurology, um, any number, infectious disease. I'm sure there are, are several, I'm many times that I'm forgetting at the moment, where it's med medicine based. And there are some that are more or ICU, emergency medicine. So there are some that are more procedural based, like ICU, intensive care and GI, which is gastroenterology and um, emergency, but uh, they're all a medicine specialty. And there are surgical subspecialties within pediatrics too, but that's a different branch where people know they want to be surgeons, but they might want to subspecialize in pediatric surgery. So they do a surgery residency first, which is different. That's at least six years, usually with the chief year and the research year. And then they might do a pediatric fellowship, but it's a totally different path, if that makes sense. So okay. in pediatric medicine, you do the residency first, in pediatric medicine for three years, and then you might go on and do a fellowship. Pediatric, which is my subspecialty, just became a subspecialty a couple of years ago. And those of us, that means that you have to be boarded, like extra double boarded oh, okay. in your subspecialty. So people like me who have done it for 10 years and have been doing it more than full time for a very long time are grandmothered in, so to speak, where we don't have to do <laughs> yeah. the fellowship, which is, I believe, three years. We just take the test. We take the boards. Okay. So I get to take them in, in 2021, so next year. And uh, then I'll be double boarded. And not everyone necessarily has to do that. Like, you don't have to do that to do pediatric emergency medicine. But if you want to be in academics or you're at a teaching hospital and teaching and have a professorship, then that's something that most people pursue. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. It's choosing a subspecialty or not is kind of like choosing your specialty in medicine in general in that when you're going through your residency, say, pediatrics, you rotate through and take care of patients in every kind of, pretty much every kind of specialty. And you have electives too. Yeah. So 
as you rotate through, you're like, well, I kind of like nephrology, but not enough. Maybe endocrinology is for me because I like to take care of diabetes patients or I don't like the ICU because it's really scary and people die a lot. And there's a lot of procedures like yeah. to figure out what they like and don't like as much as they go through or they realize they want to have a clinic and not do a lot of overnights and holidays and weekends like I do which I forgot to mention uh, when I was mentioning a typical day. So that's another thing that's not <laughs> typical for me, but I do like. Um, you have time. You have three years to figure that out, or at least two before you have to apply for fellowships. So it's, yeah, yeah. you have time. How do your bedside manners change when you're talking to a child versus an adult or even a child versus like their parent? That's a great question. Well, you know, with parents, of course, you're talking to them like the adults that, that you are, but with the connection and understanding that they may be going through a very hard time if they're really stressed out about their child. So starting out with, you know, a lot of compassion and acknowledging that being in the hospital is not always the easiest thing. So different than meeting someone for the first time in a different setting where you might be meeting them in a clinic and it's a well child check and their kid's totally fine, you know? Yeah. And at the same time, sure your child is going to be fine. So uh, providing clear information and a lot of reassurance for sure, uh, making friends um, and including their child in that. So with the child, it really depends, again, on their developmental level. Uh, with a baby or a toddler, of course, you'll talk to them differently, you know, in a, in a, in a way you would talk to any kid or child than you would mm -hmm. with a tween or teen where you're really talking to them directly and really involving them in, and addressing them almost as an adult at that point. They really need and deserve uh, and expect that respect and that acknowledgement and that's important so they can become part of the care right okay so this question is a little bit interesting um there's a phrase where it's said that old age can be described as a second childhood so that being said do you see any similarities between geriatrics and pediatrics work of any kind I would say that people do, and it's interesting, it might sound funny, but people also compare pediatrics and veterinary medicine just in that before children are born, you don't, mm -hmm. they can't tell you what's wrong. And certainly that may or may not be true with a geriatric patient, depending on, on their uh, mental status and, and how they're doing and uh, whether they have um, uh, unfortunately gone into uh, dementia or not. Um, so some people are in the state where they can't communicate what's wrong and you have to use intuition, intuition and kindness and care in uh, picking up on cues and crying and expressions of discomfort and doing a good physical right. exam where you can figure out from all those clues and piece together what might be going on. And also for both of those situations, you rely on their families to tell you the history as well. Um, of course, with older kids. Uh, they, they can generally tell you unless they are developmentally um, disabled in, in the area of language. Mm -hmm. um, I would say also that pediatrics is like a second childhood all the time. It's kind of like parenting is um, in a wonderful way because you get to interact with kids of all ages all the time and it's joyous and it's really, really fun, especially if you've had kids and your kids have grown up or are older um, like mine are. Um, you get to interact with babies, and when it's not COVID, you get to hold them. Now we can't hold them, which is really sad. And, oh, and no. you, know, just, you want to minimize any exposure as much as possible. Um, I used to get to hold them through rounds, but you get to interact with toddlers, and you do your you do your exam for a toddler wherever the toddler is. So maybe you're chasing them around the room and playing with them while you're doing it. Yeah. Um, with a baby, it's in mom's arms. Uh, you get to enjoy kids at every developmental stage. And for me, that's really a second childhood. Plus, in the kids' hospital, the Blazers come through, you know, the basketball team. That's uh, so fun. <laughs> like, we get the hockey team. We get, like, Miss Oregon. We get all kinds. We had 
Opera on May the 4th, like basically the chief of peds in a Chewbacca costume. Mm-hmm. We have pet therapists. We have pets, <laughs> pets, dog, pet dogs and cats that are like certified for pet therapy. Every Thursday, there's bingo, like uh, children's hospitals where it's at. It's super fun, especially on the holidays. The nurses yeah. and residents all dress up like everybody. It's great. So I'm a that little just sound great. Yeah, the best. <laughs> so that is all for the questions I have. Um, I just wanted to ask if you have any final pieces of advice for young folks wanting to be a doctor or even more specifically a pediatrician in the future. Yeah, so many. That's a great question. I'll try to keep it brief. First of all, I'm on the medical school admissions committee here at OHSU. And sure, the school that you go to can be helpful in that a good school but you don't have to go to an Ivy League school to get a great education. It's what you make of wherever you go. I went to state schools because I grew up in a big family and my parents had no money. I had um, There were six siblings in my family. Um, so wherever you can go to school that you can afford, make the most of your education. And sure, grades mm-hmm. are important, yes, but also we, we really look for people demonstrating that they know what they're getting into. That's what we talk about at the Med School Admissions Committee meetings. Does, has this person worked in the healthcare field in some capacity where they put their hands on patients and talked to patients and dealt with difficult situations? Have they showed that over time? Not just a day of shadowing, but have they showed that they've worked with patients over time and really understand that they want to do this? Um, yeah. Have they dealt with difficult situations? Have they pushed themselves? Have they challenged themselves? Have they gone out of their comfort zone? Done things that um, demonstrate resilience and maturity? And those are things that anybody would want to do anytime of course, for anything that you're going into, but it's especially important in medicine, you need resilience and maturity to get through medical school and residency. And then of course, being an attending, but it is a hard process and heartbreaking. Yes. And you're just not going to make it and you're not going to be a good physician or take good care of your patients. And it won't be good for your patients. Even if you do get into medical school, if you haven't gone through some things in life that, that do push your boundaries and help you grow. And so that's what we're looking for. And that's, that's better for you too. Um, Find good mentors, people that you look up to and respect to, to give you good advice on applying to medical school. And um, and don't get easily discouraged. People will tell you, especially um, some people, uh, I can't believe it happens in 2020, but um, in some areas, maybe women are still hearing that it's really hard, or maybe people from different minority groups are hearing, oh, it's really hard, and maybe you can't make Definitely. it. Don't let people discourage you who don't know what they're talking about. Yes, it's hard, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it. And yeah. uh, look for people who are going to to support you and build you up and give you good advice. And don't listen to the, the naysayers who doesn't really know what they're talking about. Your pre, pre-med school advisors can be good, but also research professors, other professors in the sciences or even other areas um, can be good. And there is someone here at OHSU, look up Oregon Health Science University. There's a pre-med advisor to, who will talk to anyone and advise anyone on their ap- application for med school and like how to improve it and how to get That's in. super great. Carolyn Zook, yeah. but you don't have to remember Dr. Zook's name, just call or look up OHSU pre-med advising and you'll, you'll find it online. Okay, so I know I said I was done with questions, but just because you mentioned school, you did stay in Oregon for undergrad and med school going to U of O and OHSU. Did you see any particular value in staying in state for school? Yeah, that is such a great question. So uh, I love Oregon, which is good. <laughs> I grew up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I grew up my family is, whom I also love, fortunately, and they were important support network. But also, again, I came out of a 
um, a pretty financially challenged, like lower middle income household and my parents couldn't provide mm-hmm. money. So I got a lot of state scholarships and state grants and things that I needed to help me go to med school. And I got a good education at the University of Oregon and um, a lot of assistance going there. And same with school, it was in-state tuition and a lot cheaper than it is now, but um, still had a lot of assistance. So that was part of how I made my decision in addition to knowing there were good schools and that my family support would be here. Um, I uh, could have gone to Stanford for med school, but it was much more expensive and it was farther away from my family. So there are a lot of different considerations that go into where you go to school. But again, wherever works best for you, that you, you can really afford it. You want to finish med school. You want to be able to finish and get through paying for everything. I almost ran out of, right. ran out of money. There's only so much you can borrow from the government and you don't want to try to get into private loans if your parents can't help you and you run out of grants, scholarships and everything else. So you really need to think about how am I going to afford four years of college if you're paying for it? And how am I going to afford four years in med school? Afford four years in med school? Can I get through all of this reasonably without running out of funds and, you know, and live? And uh, so it's important to think about how all those things go together. You don't have to go to, like I said, Ivy League schools to uh, go where you want to go later on. Um, And you can still get good education wherever is reasonable for you. So it, it worked Absolutely. out great for me because I did get to go to Stanford for residency, which was wonderful. I love California. It was a, it was great training, and they paid me instead of the other way around. So that worked out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes, I guess, long story short, you can be strategic in how you approach those decisions and have it work out. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, thank you so much again for coming on. I know that you're literally still at work right yeah, now. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your crazy busy schedule. Um, I really think that a lot of people are going to learn a lot. I think I've learned a lot from you already. Okay. And so I'm excited for people to hear what you have to say and I hope it helps them. Well, wonderful. It's been a pleasure. So. I'm so glad to get to talk and let me know if you have more questions come up. Of course. Okay. Thank you. you Take care. Wasn't it just so wonderful to hear from such an incredible professional? I truly hope you were able to think medicine with me today. Again, my name is Sonia Surya and I'm from Portland, Oregon in the United States. I'm always open to hearing new ideas that I can try out. If you have ideas for me, want to learn something more, or just want to send me your thoughts, click the voice message button on my profile at anchor.fm slash thinkmedicine or send it directly through the link anchor.fm slash thinkmedicine slash message. I'd love to hear from you all directly, and I'm open to expanding the type of content I offer. If you enjoyed this episode, share this podcast with someone who you think would love it as well. Thank you for being here today, and I'll talk to you again on the next episode of Think Medicine with Sonia.